So I have a vision. I have a vision for a church who equips, encourages, and empowers people to live their purpose in Christ. I envision a church that's a community that stays after service to visit with one another, that invites others to dinner and doesn't leave when the check is paid, a church that constantly encourages, loves, and holds each other accountable. I see a church being radically generous to others and to their community because they believe that they cannot outgive God. So they constantly respond when God stretches to give for them to give more than what they ever had. But this church doesn't stop there because any charity, any group in the world, any group of people can display those qualities of being generous and being a part of a community. But this church has something special. This church has something different than anything else that the world could ever offer them because this church is intentionally devoted to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This church shares the amazing fact that our God, who loved the world so much, he gave his one and only son to die in your place and in my place, to rise from the grave three days later so that we could live free from the bondage and the wages of our sin, which is death. Our God who desires an intimate relationship with us, our God who is so radically generous in supplying our needs, looked at our broken mistakes. He looked at our rebellion. He looked at our sinfulness and responded with love, mercy, and grace. He had compassion on us and he redeemed us through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And what makes this church so special is that they refuse to keep this gospel message a secret. They don't keep it to themselves. They're excited. They're filled with courage to keep sharing the gospel until every single person in their community has surrendered their life to Christ. And by the power of God's grace and love with the devotion of this church, God adds to this church's number daily. How many of you would like to see this church in Poole, Kentucky? How many of you believe that Shady Grove General Baptist Church is on its way there? I want us to go back to the passage as we wrap up this series, We Are the Church. The passage that we've been looking at the past couple weeks, and that's Acts chapter 2, starting verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You know, I saw something on Facebook this past week, and I've seen it several times throughout the years, uh, but it came at this week, and I was like, I can't not share it this week. Uh, so Gabe, if you would go ahead and put that picture up there. And with this picture, the Facebook post read this. What would it look like if the disciples valued worship and community like many believers do in their church gatherings today? Peter, my mother-in-law, came in for the weekend. 
Andrew, I was up kind of late last night. James, son of Zebedee, I really needed some me time. John, I was there last week. Besides, I'm not really being fed anymore. Philip, finally had a sunny day to go and hit the lake. Bartholomew, had brunch scheduled with my Uncle Zed. Thomas, I doubt it would have been good any, or good, any good today anyways. Matthew, I had to go and get my taxes done. James, son of Alphaeus, my dad wanted to fish today. Thaddeus, the kids needed a rest day. Simon, I, I just didn't hear my alarm because I didn't set it because I don't have one. And Judas, I'm getting tired of hearing the same old message. And I want to take this post a step further and add to the modern day version of what we just read, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to their comfort, happiness, personal goals, dreams, and traditions. No one really noticed the Christians because they focused so much on themselves. They sold anything, they used that money to buy something so much better for themselves. Once or twice a month, they met together in church to sing and listen to a preacher, but very few of the believers were often together more than that. And when they were, they rarely agreed, but rather they disagreed on so many different things about the word of God that they even read. They claimed to love God, but they didn't even love each other. So they felt empty, alone, and depressed. And as a result, most people disliked them and very few lives were changed. Anyone feeling a little bit humbled or guilty right now? Gabe, you can take that picture off now. You see, the enemy knows us better than we know ourselves a lot of the times. Because oftentimes we, we think that we can just walk into church at least most of the time. We don't have to come every Sunday anymore. We can just come most of the time. And if we're in church, at least most of the time, then we're fighting the good fight of faith. Now, certainly there are spiritual battles that take place outside of a church building, outside of a church service, but you feel like you're fighting the good fight of faith, right? For, for most Christians today in America, they probably feel like, well, I went to church. I checked off that box. I have the Bible sitting on the coffee table. I've got a Bible app on my phone and, and you know, I pray when I need to, which isn't very often, but it's when I need to. And we feel like we're fighting the good fight of faith and that we're doing what God has called us to do. And we will talk all day long about how the enemy is attacking us through the week, even if we're the ones that put ourselves in that situation and Satan had nothing to do with it. Sometimes, because we're, we're broken human beings, we put ourselves in situations that, that lead to our own destruction and Satan's like, I don't even have to do anything that time. I didn't even have to tempt them to go that way because they're just doing that on their own. But I kinda, can I let you in on a little something that I, I truly believe this to be true? Satan isn't bothered when you attend church. He's bothered when you're involved in church. The enemy doesn't care that you have a Bible app on your phone or a Bible on the coffee table. Even if it's open, he cares when you pick it up and you read it. He doesn't mind that you sing songs on Sunday and hear the pastor preach a message. 
But what bothers him, what, when he really minds it, when he really starts attacking you is when you genuinely worship in church and you intently listen to the pastor and take notes so that you can fight spiritual battles throughout your week. And you know what I think Satan loves the most about some of you or really all of us? Is that you know the gospel of Jesus Christ, but you rarely share it with anyone. That, that gives him so much joy to know that you know the best news in the entire world and you're keeping it a secret from your friends, from your family, from other people. He loves when you're spiritually apathetic instead of spiritually active. So it is going to be a shorter message today, I think. Okay, I say I think because I really don't know, but I think it's gonna be a shorter message. But I wanna give you some practical steps. They're really generic, they're really basic, but it, they wouldn't be mentioned if I didn't think that they were needed to be spoken about. But the first one, the first step that you need to take to start being spiritually active in your life is to actually read the Bible and pray daily. Not just once a week, not just a couple times a week, every single day. And if you can, even multiple times a day, you are responsible for your relationship with God. I'm not responsible for it. I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna guide you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do everything that I can to make sure that, that you're spiritually healthy as possible. But I, at the end of the day, at the end of time, I'm not responsible for you. I'm responsible for me. And I'm responsible for my family and how I led them. So you are responsible for your relationship with God. And the best way to start building that relationship with him is to read his word that he gave you and made through faithful servants throughout church history, made it available for you to read in your own language so that none of you had to learn Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek, that he uh, inspired several people throughout church history to where you can have an English translation. But not only that, God even took it a step further to make sure that you could read and understand his word, but he gave you different translations of this same message so that you could understand it in a way that you speak, in the way that you hear and communicate, all right? Because not all of us can understand the King James Version, but when we pick up an NIV, when we pick up an NLT, we can read those and we're like, okay, that makes sense, right? I don't know what King James was talking about, but this makes a whole lot more sense. God wants you to know his word and he's faithfully uh, inspired these people throughout church history so that we can have different translations that we can understand so that he is actively trying to communicate in a way that we hear. He's actively trying to communicate in a way that we can understand. And so it's important that you read your Bible every day because it's God's word. But you also need to communicate back. Right, The Bible is how you listen to God, but how you speak to God is through prayer. Now, certainly through prayer, you can listen to God too. But a lot of the times, this is gonna be your best bet. If you're wanting to hear from God, then read his word. But if you're wanting to speak to God, and I encourage you to speak to God, then that's through sitting down and setting time aside for prayer. If you look in the, the early church, we talked about this at the very beginning of the year, but the early church, they, they prayed three set times and every single day, they prayed three separate times, likely for about an hour each time. And they would set this time aside just so that they could pray and sit there by themselves with God. This does not include, these three times do not include corporate prayer where they're praying with other people 
It is just them and God. You see this reflected not even just in the New Testament with the Acts Church, but in the Old Testament with Daniel. Well, if you remember the story of, of Daniel, what put him in the lion's den was that he prayed at the three times that he wanted to, morning, afternoon, and evening. Now, contrast that to your prayer life. You're probably like, I don't pray that much. But, but I also know that you're probably like, well, you know, I have this in the morning. I have this in the afternoon. I have this in the evening. And, you know, I, I'll, I pray before I go to bed. I pray for, before my meals most of the time. You know, sometimes I, I, I put a bite in my mouth. I'm like, oh, 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 Heavenly Father, I thank you for this food, right? We've all done it, Okay. Don't act like I'm the only one that's taking a couple bites of food and be like, oh no, I didn't pray, right? But you, you pray for your food most of the time, but outside of that, you don't have a set time for devotion. I'm telling you, if you do that, the enemy will attack you because it bothers him, right? If you're not being spiritually attacked, it's because you're not a threat to him because you're doing exactly what he wants you to. But uh, when you set these times aside, I guarantee, and I can, I can promise you that someone is going to want something during that time. Now, it doesn't have to be an hour. You probably shouldn't start with three hours a day. Uh, just as a recommendation, if you're not doing three hours a day right now, probably shouldn't jump right in at three hours a day. But let's just say that you set five minutes aside right before you even get out of bed. This is something that I do. Before I even take a step out of bed, I pray for about five minutes. That's my morning prayer. And it's uh, before I even start my day, I want to reconnect with God. Now, if that doesn't work for you and you have to get ready or you want to pray while you're getting ready, I would say that you're probably going to be distracted most of the time, but um, God might let it slide, <laughs> right? It's not me that's judging you, it's him. But you set these times aside and I promise someone will want something from you, whether it's your kids, whether it's your spouse, or whether it's someone else who's trying to give you a phone call because they desperately need something in the afternoon. You will have people, you will have distractions, and I encourage you as you pray and read your Bible daily at set times, not to be a tradition, but to know that this is the time that I'm gonna talk to God. Don't let those distractions distract you. Because if God is the most important thing in your life, then there is nothing on the face of the planet that can distract you from that, right? Now, now I know where minds will start to wonder, well, what if there's an emergency? If there's an emergency, the one that I wanna be talking to is God anyways. And so if I see a notification that someone's, someone's there, I'm not saying you always have to do this, okay? Because I know there are certain situations that God, God understands and he will wait because he's very, very patient with us. But if I see a notification and maybe I take the call real quick, I'm not gonna be there, I'm not gonna go, but I'm gonna stay and I'm gonna pray until I finish out however long I've set up to pray. But you gotta pray daily. If you don't know where to start, start with the Gospel of John. It's always a great starting point. Or read and study the scripture that was preached on Sunday for reference. If you wanna start this this week, which I highly encourage, start reading and studying Acts chapter two, verses 42 through 47, and then read before and after the passage to supplement your reading so you can get the full context. But I do have a warning for you. 
The Bible is powerful and it's the living word of God, which means that as you read it, the more that you read it, the more that you'll be transformed by this very word into something new. How you view the world, how you view yourself and how you view others will change and be transformed because of how often you read this word. It will change uh, the way that you interact with other people, but it will also convict you. It will chip away at your darkness and the enemy will send everything that he has to discourage you. But stand strong and stand firm because the transformation that you will receive will be completely worth it. But I do wanna take a step further as we go into this next step for you is to not always read it alone which means number two is to find your inner circle. Your inner circle are the people that you do life with. They're, they're the ones that walk with you as you serve God, but they're more than just friends because they're people who aren't scared to hold you accountable and tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. They will constantly push you and stretch you to be a better person. And these people are often the ones that will always get on your last nerve because they will always point out things that you need to be working on. They will always point out when you didn't do what you set out to do. They will always hold you accountable and they will always tell you and get you right back in the, the right mindset. And they will get on your last nerve, but at the same time, you know that you can rely on them for anything. That when they tell you something, it's going to be the truth. These are your inner circle. And Jesus actually demonstrates what, how, the importance of an inner circle because in the Garden of Gethsemane, he reveals that he had this inner circle of Peter, James, and John because he calls them in further into the garden to pray with him. And we can assume that those three were the closest to Jesus and Peter would actually be the one that would uh, lead the first church. But why it's important to have your inner circle is really just to hold you accountable, to encourage you and to rely on you because, or someone to rely on because we are terrible at it, right? You don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you are terrible at holding yourself accountable? I'd say most of us are when you're on a diet, you tell yourself that that one piece of cake's not gonna hurt when you know all too well that one piece is always gonna to lead to two and two is gonna to lead to three, and then you're gonna feel guilty, right? That one week without exercise, it's not gonna do anything, but knowing that the following week is gonna be the same because you didn't do it last week, so you're not gonna do it the next week. If you spend more than what you have because it's on sale now, and it might not be on sale when I get my paycheck, so I need to buy it now with the credit card because it might not be on sale in a couple weeks when I get my paychecks, so then you start falling back into debt and then you see all these other sales and you start financially going down when you tell yourself that you need to pray, that you need to read the Bible, but you find yourself frequently not sitting down to actually do it because you're too busy right now. Or when you do, you open up God's word and you're like, all right, I'm gonna, just because I just flipped to this, I'm gonna read Isaiah chapter six, Isaiah's commission. That's awesome that that, passage just came up. Isaiah's commission. It says, in the year that King used, I don't know how to pronounce that word. What? Was that someone else? No, focus. Uzziah, 
There we go. That's how I'm going to pronounce it today. Died. I saw the Lord high and exalted. Wow, that'd be awesome to see the Lord high and exalted. Did I get the groceries last week? Oh, I should probably start getting ready, right? You start getting distracted because you're reading God's word. And it's that old saying that, that I've heard all my life. Tomorrow, if you say that you're going to do it tomorrow, tomorrow will never come. You got to start doing it today. But when you have someone to hold you accountable, you'll be encouraged by the others, not condemned, encouraged by others to push yourself to fall in love with the word of God, to pray constantly and to accomplish your health and physical and financial or whatever goals that you have. Because if you don't, then you're not going to do it. Eventually your mind and the enemy is going to convince you that one day is not gonna hurt. One moment's not gonna hurt. One time is not gonna hurt, right? I wonder how many times the apostles heard from Satan saying, well, you already pray three times a day. If you just miss your morning one, you still got the afternoon and the evening to pray. That's still more than, than what people 2000 years from now, what they're gonna pray. So, so what's it matter that you have all three times? What does it matter that you meet together all the time? Like, surely you can have one day for just you and your family and you don't have to interact with anyone else. Surely that you can do all of these other things that you want to one day because every other day of the week, six days a week and look throughout church history what that has done where they were meeting every single day and having church every single day has uh, Satan has gradually chipped down throughout church history and said, well, you still got Sunday and you still got Wednesday and you still got Sunday night. And then it was Sunday night was chipped away. Well, you still got Sunday morning and you still got Wednesday night. And then slowly Wednesday night, people start getting less involved and Wednesday night was chipped away. Well, you still got Sunday. I wonder how much longer Sunday won't be here. If Jesus refused to do ministry by himself, by inviting 12 others to do it with him, I think we can all agree that Jesus was smart enough, powerful enough because he was the son of God, that he could have done everything that he did and accomplished it all by himself. But he chose to bring in people with him. He chose to bring in a community. He chose to have people in his life. And even though they didn't need to hold him accountable for anything, for us, we need that accountability. We need those people in our circle. I hear Christians often say that they don't need to go to church to follow Christ. And though that may be true on paper, you'd be denying yourself of a community. And I'm betting that you're denying yourself of a real relationship because it's really easy to skip church because you don't have to be held accountable. It's really easy to not get involved in church because then you're not building up all these messy relationships that could break and shatter. And it's just so much easier just to skip church, come once every, every once in a while, because you don't have any accountability on you because no one knows you. They see you 12 times a year if you come once a month. If you come twice a month, they see you 24 times a year. Right, that was free math for you. Um, but you don't have to deal with the mess of relationships and you will inevitably miss out on the benefit of having others encourage you to have your back 
through thick and thin. You'll likely fall back into old patterns, but still be convinced that you're doing exactly what God's called you to. And I'm telling you, that's a dangerous spiritual game that you're playing, if that's you. But we will be, as a church, intentionally devoted to one another to build the community that has a heart of worship for God. And we'll also serve our community and each other together, which leads, leads right into step number three, which is to serve in church. This one's really simple. It's short. Serve in church. Just get involved, whether that's the tech side or Grove Kids or greeting people at the door, volunteering for different events that we have. If you're breathing, everyone's still breathing, right? Still breathing? Okay. If you're breathing, then you have the ability to serve others. You may not feel like you have that ability, but you do. You may not think that you have this ability to serve others and you may not be able to serve in certain capacities, but you can certainly still serve because if you're still here, if you still have a breath, then God still has a purpose for you in this church and on this earth. So getting involved in church is actually gonna help you grow in your relationship with God. It's gonna help you build relationships with people so that you can have your inner circle so that you can be held accountable to prayer and to reading and studying God's word daily. And the last one should be the most obvious. Actively sharing the gospel with everyone. You want to really start getting spiritually active? Step out of this church and start sharing the gospel with other people. The war that you will start investing in and being in and being actively a part of is going to be more than what you can handle, but God will handle it for you. He'll take on that way. He'll take on that cross because he already has. How grateful you are for the gospel in your life will always be reflected in how frequently you share it with others. The gospel has grown tired. If it sounds and feels the same, if you don't get excited about it, then you're not gonna share it with anyone. And imagine for a minute what that communicates to any unbeliever who walks in here, who walks into your life, that the gospel is just this piece of good news, but it's probably too good to be true because the ones who actually believe in it and talk about it in church, they rarely talk about it to me. They're rarely even excited about it. So why would I wanna follow Jesus if I can get way more excited about other things in the world? I believe that after a while of going to church, doing the religious things, we can get really comfortable knowing that we're saved. Knowing that, that our salvation is secure because we're following God, we're still doing all the church things, we're still doing everything that we have been, we're still praying, we're still reading our Bible, we're spiritually and, and mentally and physically and emotionally trying to be invested in our relationship with God. And when we do that, we, we forget about how broken we truly are. And when we realize how broken we really are, it starts stirring up a fire within us that says, man, I, I'm so broken and I know that other people are broken. So I wanna share this good news because I've already received it and it's been amazing, but I want other people to experience that too, that we are broken and sinful people. 
We rebelled against God. We spat in his face. We, we pushed that, that crown of thorns deeper into his head. We, we drove those nails into his hands. We were the ones that killed him on that cross, and we had no hope. The only hope that we had before Christ was to follow the law, all 600 and some odd laws that were in there, to the T, exactly how God desired it, and we proved to ourselves that we can't do that. In fact, all the way back at the beginning, God created Adam and Eve, and they had one command. Don't eat from that tree. You can have everything that you've ever desired. Just don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they broke the one command that they had, right? It seems really simple. Here's your only rule. You can have as much fun as you want. You can have as much as you want. You have all, you have the entire earth to cultivate and, and to eat from and to, to find things, to discover. The only thing is don't eat from this tree. And what did Adam and Eve do? They ate from it. So if we think that we can follow all the rules, all 600 and some odd rules that were in the Old Testament, law of Moses, that law of Moses was not meant for us to follow perfectly because God knew that we wouldn't be able to. We, we messed up the one rule, let alone all 600. The law was created to show our brokenness. It was also created for our redemption through Jesus Christ because he came to fulfill the law. And that's exactly what Christ did. He fulfilled the law. When Jesus was sent from heaven, he, he fulfilled the law. He lived and he died and he rose again so that we could have a new life, so that we could be resurrected spiritually into a new life with him for all of eternity. And as broken and as, as hurtful as we were to God and towards God, God still looked at us and said, I'm gonna send my son to die on the cross and rise again so that they can still be in a perfect community with me. So that they can still come to me. You know, sin bridged this entire gap between our reach to God. And God said, I'm gonna send my son to bring, to bridge the gap so that those who call on my name, those who, who accept Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will be able to walk across the bridge and I will continue to take care of them and they will be with me for all eternity in perfect unity. And our hope is in him who gave us a new life. But our call as Christians comes from Matthew 28 that we are to go and make disciples into many and all nations. And I just wonder how many people who call themselves followers of Christ have failed at the one mission that God gave us. We failed at the one rule that he gave us and many of us fail at the one command that he gave us to go and make disciples into many and all nations. God has given us this message to share with the world and as the church, it's my prayer, it's my passion that we will do anything and everything short of sin to make sure that the gospel is shared daily until there is not a single broken soul left to save here on this earth. 
We'll start with our community, but when everyone in our community is saved and radically transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we'll start spreading out to all the other, other communities that are around us, and we'll keep on spreading and pushing and stretching. But the few can't do it alone. God has called us to all do that. If you're a follower of Christ, you will be held accountable on whether or not you shared his word. But we are the church. We will be intentionally devoted to Jesus. We will be radically generous. We will share our hurts and our joys in a community. We will equip, encourage, and empower people to live their purpose in Christ. Because in order to live their purpose, they gotta find their purpose and they can only find their purpose in Christ. And today, I don't know who all is gonna stand with, you don't have to stand physically, but stand with me spiritually. But as your pastor, I declare war on the principalities and powers of hell today that we will not stop advancing the gospel because we know the gates of hell are not gonna hold up against us. That here in this church, we can go and we're gonna be distracted. We're gonna be spiritually in a war, not a battle, a war. That's why we need each other. We were never meant to go into battles, into wars all alone, but we will not stop advancing the gospel until every single soul is saved here on earth. We are the church.